Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. As Claire said, we're in a series called Meals with Jesus. And the idea of the series is we're just going through Luke's gospel and we're picking out different things that happened around the dinner table. When Jesus was meeting with different people, what happened, what conversation occurred. I wonder if you can think of an argument that you've had again and again and again. Have you ever had the same argument with the same person many times. I can think of arguments that I've kept coming back to and kept coming back to. You get this dynamic, right, where I know what they think, they know what I think, they know what I'm going to say, I'm going to say it anyway, and the whole thing just plays out as though it's according to script. I can think of a couple of friends of mine who had exactly this around the washing up. Uh, And what happened was one of them never did the washing up. The other one got really annoyed And he then nagged the first one to do the washing up. And the first one then thought, I'm not doing the washing up. And I know the other guy's going to have a go at me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he's like, I know he's going to think I'm nagging, but I'm going to nag him anyway. And every week I was getting it in my ears from both sides. This is going on. This is going on. It's like, come on, lads. You don't need to be going through this script over and over again. Today, in the Gospels, we're going to be seeing an argument that kept happening over and over again. It was an issue that they kept returning to. And this meal with Jesus that we're going to look at today is actually a really lengthy conversation that happened. It covered a lot of different topics, so we're splitting it in three. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at what happened at this meal. And my job today is just to to start it, just to read the first six verses to talk a little bit about what happened early on at this meal. And then in the next week, you'll hear more of how the conversation Developed. So, if you've got a Bible, go to Luke 14, please, and uh, follow along. And let me read verses 1 to 6. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal? on the Sabbath, or not. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox, that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. This was quite a typical setting for that day and age. Kenneth Bailey explains it. He says, the setting is authentically Middle Eastern, a traveling rabbi or preacher, passes through a local village. The religious leaders invite the guest to a meal during which they investigate his political and theological views. And in this case, Jesus is the guest. So you've got these teachers of the law and Pharisees. They've invited him for dinner and they want to poke, they want to prod, they want to see what Jesus is about on different issues. And the issue that really comes to a head is the Sabbath, because this is the argument that's been recurring all through the Gospel of Luke. Different times where Jesus has done things on the Sabbath, and the argument has played out, it seems like they want it to play out 
again here. I wonder if you pick up on that phrase at the end of verse 1. They were watching him carefully. Have you ever watched someone carefully? You know, I was in retail once. I worked in a shop. And I remember a few times my manager would say, Tom, just come here. You see that person who's walked in. We've had trouble with them before. Watch them carefully. And it's like keeping an eye. He's expecting, perhaps, they're going to do something wrong. And when they do something wrong, I'm vigilant. I'm going to catch it. I'm going to pick up on this thing that the person has done wrong. That's how these Pharisees were towards Jesus. Uh, The Christian writer Beth Moore says, The most merciful people are those who have been sitting under the faucet of God's mercy instead of sitting by with a critical eye. Well, these people, they're sitting by with a critical eye. And they didn't actually say anything at all in this passage. I wonder if you noticed that. All of the dialogue comes from Jesus. They don't have to say anything because what they've done is they've engineered a situation. They've brought this man along, this man with dropsy. They know it's a Sabbath day. They've invited Jesus in and they're like, what should we do? Let's invite this guy and see what Jesus does. It's like a mousetrap, isn't it? And this guy's like the, the bit of cheese there waiting to see what Jesus does. He won't be able to resist healing this guy. So let's invite him along and then we can catch him out. And then we can have a go at him. And then we can discredit him because he can't really be a man of God if he works on the Sabbath day. That's the way they'd set the situation up. Now, on the surface, this debate was about one day of the week and what you can and can't do on it. But at its heart, this is a debate about something much bigger than that. It's two very different, very contrasting visions for what following God looks like. And Jesus can't let the issue slide because it's so important. My holiday reading last week was this book. Brilliant book, highly recommended. It's called Bullies and Saints by John Dixon. An honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. He starts off in the Crusades, telling of brutalities that supposedly Christians committed in the name of God. And he looks at the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament about loving your enemies. And he says, how in the world did we get from here? to here. And he goes through history and he picks up on lots of really dark chapters in the history of the church. Forced conversions. uh, Things where people who didn't believe were treated really badly. And he picks up on some glorious chapters in the history of the church where Christians have gone into places where no one else will go and laid down their life and served and started hospitals, started schools, cared for the poor and the needy and the sick. And he says, look, throughout history, both of these things have been sort of happening together, really brutal bullying stuff from people supposedly claiming the name of God and some great glorious acts of kindness and sacrifice. Just the story of history, you do see both components together. And the Pharisees that we come across here in the Gospels, they were the prototypical bullies. For them, it was all about pushing people around. It was about controlling other people. It was about setting their parameters on what everybody else could do and making sure everybody did it. It's a very different vision for what the kingdom of God is like to the one Jesus had. That's why the argument kept coming up over and over again. Let's dive into the Sabbath day and see how it played out there then. So 
I'll read the Old Testament verse. Now, there's two or three verses in, uh, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, about the Sabbath. I'll read one of the classic ones to you. The others are similar. This is Leviticus 23, verse 3. The six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Now, imagine being in ancient Israel at the time this law is given. Imagine I'm there. So I hear this law and I think, all right, fine, I get it. I I understand what this is about. I'll go to work for six days. Then on the seventh day, I won't go to work. I'll stay at home. I'll give this as a day dedicated to God. And so I change the focus on that day. Great, I'll get on with that. And then Claire and Phil, they'll hear this and they'll do similar. They'll think, okay, we won't go to work this day. We'll have it as a day dedicated to God and our pattern of life that day will look different. It would never once cross my mind to think I'm going to go around to Phil and Claire's house and I'm going to make sure that everything they're doing, I approve of. And I don't think it would cross your mind to come around to my house and, uh, and mark all the things that I'm doing. Have I transgressed the line? Have I gone a little bit too far into work? It wouldn't be the way you'd think, would it? But for the Pharisees, that was the way they thought. They wanted to go around to everybody else's houses or at least look on from a distance and make sure they were keeping this day, not just according to the common sense of let's have a day off work and a day devoted to God, but according to a whole meticulous set of do's and don'ts that uh, since, since you're so curious, I can see the curiosity in your faces about what was on the do's and don'ts list. I thought I'd share it with you this morning because they had 39 what are called uh, melachot, which are the rules of the Sabbath day. Uh, and these were written down officially in about 200 AD as a way of kind of making um, kind of official for everyone what had already been going on. So this is how the Pharisees would have operated by these 39 rules. Now, there are four different orders of rules that they had to keep. The first one was to do with food. So they called it the order of bread. So here are some things you're not allowed to do, according to the Pharisees, on the Sabbath day. First is planting. So you can't plant your crops on that day. Okay, fair enough. You can't plough your field and you can't reap your harvest. Now, reaping, if you're thinking about like an industrial scale farm going out into the fields, getting all the crops, you're like, I kind of get it. But the vision wasn't limited to industrial scale. We've got a raspberry bush in our garden. So if on the Sabbath day I was out in the garden and I wander over to the raspberry bush and I pick a raspberry and eat it, That counts, that's reaping, because I've taken the one raspberry off the bush to eat it. So that would be work, that would be banned on this day. Also gathering, threshing and extraction, winnowing, sorting and purification, grinding corn. So you remember that incident in the Gospels where a few of the disciples are walking through the field and idly they pick some wheat and in their fingers they're doing that. That's work, you're not allowed to do that. Sifting, you can't knead. So any of you who are into bread making, that would be banned because you have to do some kneading. Amalgamation, cooking. So if you're into your kind of roast dinner, you can't have one of them unless you prepare it the night before and then let it go cold and eat your kind of cold turkey and gravy uh, <coughs> and bacon. All of that was just the first of these four categories. Secondly, to do with clothing, the order of garments. You're not allowed to, to shear an animal, you're not allowed to scour or launder your clothes. 
carding or combing of wool, dyeing. Now, I don't mean kind of they had a rule against um, kind of passing on on the Sabbath. You could do that. But dyeing as in changing the colour of a fabric, spinning, warping, making two loops or threading heddles, weaving was banned, separating two threads, Tying a knot, this would include shoelaces, okay? So going back to this idea of me uh, checking up on Claire and Phil, I see you've both got shoelaces tied. Exactly. If you do it in preparation and then force your foot in, I guess that's okay. But, but we need to have shoelace cam on everybody to make sure they're not doing that. Also, untying. So if you do manage to kind of sleep in your shoes, but you want to take them off, you can't untie the laces. You've got to force your foot out of them. Sewing is not allowed. Tearing something is not allowed. The third of these groups was to do with hides or animal skins. You're not allowed to trap an animal. You're not allowed to kill an animal. Flay or skin it, cure or preserve it, smooth it, score it, or, or measured cutting, uh, apparently. If you don't measure it, maybe you are allowed to cut. I don't know. It didn't go into that detail. Finally, the order of construction. So you're not allowed to write. So imagine you kind of like taking notes. Maybe you're doing a little Bible study for yourself on this day. That's fine, but no taking notes because writing is not allowed. Erasing, not allowed. Construction, demolition. This next one is absolutely mad. You're not allowed to extinguish a fire. Okay, so imagine your house is on fire. There were rules against putting the fire out. You just had to stand there and watch your house burn to the ground. Ignition um, was banned. That's kind of like lighting a fire. So they'd have to light their candles the night before because apparently lighting the candle, that counted as work. And, and that's why today some kind of ultra-strict Jews won't use electricity on the Sabbath because they think that includes ignition as well. And then the last one is final completion or fine-tuning. Now, by final completion, they mean putting anything into its kind of finished state. So, for example, a staple. Right? When you buy some staples, they're not in their finished state. They're in this shape, but for their use, they need to be in a different shape. Stapling something would mean putting it into its final state. So you were not allowed to staple things on the Sabbath. Another example of final completion is a pot noodle. Right? A pot noodle does not come in its final state. It comes as kind of this dry uh, thing. Apparently, it's food. And then when you add water to it... Apparently it's food, uh, and th th there's a final state that it needs to be in. So you were not allowed to do that. Now, even if you were, you wouldn't be allowed to do it anyway, because boiling the water would require uh, some kind of ignition or, or fire to it. Also, the pot noodle, you'd have to tear the top off it and tear the sauce thing open, and cooking is banned. So there are five different laws preventing you making a pot noodle on the Sabbath. I'm just going to put it out there. If you've got five separate laws that in different ways ban a pot noodle, you might be going a bit over the top. Uh, on the fine-tuning part of it, uh, you were allowed to play the guitar, but if the guitar went out of tune, you were not then allowed to retune your guitar. So you just had to hope for the best, hope that that guitar survived in tune for the whole six-song set that you're doing, otherwise everybody's going to be uh, really hoping you can finish that time early. They were their rules. Now I wonder, do you see how they got there from that verse in Leviticus that I read? Do you see how all of these things come out of there? I don't. I don't see it at all. It's not in there, is it? But this is the trap that they'd set for Jesus. 
Because they've got this person coming along. And according to what Leviticus was about, there would be no problem at all with Jesus healing him. But according to these extra rules, this code of conduct for the Sabbath that they put forward, they'd find problems with it. So the question in their mind is, is Jesus going to go along with our bullying interpretation? Is he going to go along with our desire to control how things are done? Is that what Christianity would be? Is that his vision for the kingdom of God? Is that the shape of what is to come? You know, this is actually a trap that many Christians have fallen into since. And let me just say strongly this morning, bullying people in the name of godliness is not godly. We're called to compassion, not to control. You know, the, oftentimes, if you've got a set of convictions and you've got a little bit of power, the danger is that you try and impose your convictions on everyone else. And often that's done in very unsavory ways. You think about uh, stories you hear of heavy-handed discipline, where people have been trying to follow Jesus, but those kind of in leadership or authority have kind of pushed them around. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. I've heard about uh, a church where before anyone could book a holiday, they had to run it by the leadership of the church. We want to go on holiday this day. Is that okay? That's controlling. That's not godly. It's not good. It's too heavy. Sometimes when Christians have had cultural influence They've created a, a setup that's brutal for outsiders. For, it's brutal for people who are different, who don't believe, who don't agree. Now, sometimes when Christians have had cultural influence, that hasn't been the case. And they've created glorious things. But we just need to watch out for this. And as at the moment, it seems Christian cultural influence is waning, I think there's a temptation on some Christians to try and fight a culture war, to try and impose things on other people. That's not what it's about. Here's how Jesus differs from the Pharisees. They were all heavy-handed and about putting these burdens on people. Do this, do it our way. But this is the word of Jesus. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Do you see how different that is? Now, in this kind of Sabbath setup that the Pharisees had constructed, there was one loophole. They did have kind of one get-out clause on these rules. And uh, Lois Tverberg is a scholar of kind of Jewish and Christian things. And she says this, if human life was in danger, all rules regarding not working on the Sabbath could be set aside for the reason of pikua nefesh. Now, what, what is pikua nefesh? Alison Van Tilburg explains it. In short, pikua nefesh asserts that human life always comes first, even if it means breaking other Jewish laws, such as the Sabbath. Indeed, the person who saves one life is considered to have saved the whole world. So this was part of their system. Going back to that rule about your house burning down, if someone was in it, you were allowed to put the fire out because you were saving a life. It's only if your house was unoccupied that you had to let it burn down. They, they did have this little loophole for human life. And Jesus' question, because you see in the passage, Jesus asks them a question. He's kind of building on this idea. He, he says to them, is it lawful to heal 
on the Sabbath or not? Now, this way of asking a question, this would have been very normal. All the rabbis and scholars would debate in this way. Is it lawful too? And they'd come up with different scenarios. Now, usually, it wouldn't be something as big as healing. It'd be something like a technicality. Is it legal to do some stapling on the Sabbath? Is it legal to have a pot noodle on the Sabbath? Maybe these small, intricate details. But Jesus goes big. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What a great question. Because this unpicks the whole way they've constructed everything. He said, look, you already, it seems, understand that people matter more than the law. Human life takes precedence over the rules. You kind of get that. Okay, let's talk about healing then, because doesn't this lean into the same principle? Are we allowed to do good? Are we allowed to bless on this day? And healing hadn't been spelled out in a clear-cut way that you were allowed to do it. Now, they couldn't really say to Jesus, no, you can't heal on the Sabbath, because that's just a ludicrous thing to say. And they would have known how ludicrous it says. Here's a man who's sick. God will heal him on this day. Are you really going to say no? But they don't want to say yes. They don't want to go along with what Jesus is asking. Because if they say, yes, okay, you can heal on the Sabbath, what would be the next question? Can you feed the hungry on the Sabbath? Can you do other good works on the Sabbath? It would start to unpick and undermine this whole controlling system that they've built. So what do they do? They stay silent. Verse 6 says they could not reply to these things. They had nothing at all to say. What this comes down to is a totally different view of what the Sabbath is and what it's for. In Mark 2, Jesus says this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, these Pharisees, they thought that man was made for the Sabbath. So they try and control everybody into fitting a certain shape to obey a set of rules. Jesus sees it differently. This thing is a gift from God. It's not about pushing you around. It's not about controlling you. It's not about putting a burden upon you. It's a gift from God to enjoy. I wonder, for us today, this morning, what what is our relationship with Sabbath? I, I, I might be wrong here. One of the things I notice amongst Christians today is we've got such a desire not to fall into the legalism trap, not to do what the Pharisees were doing, that maybe we completely ignore Sabbath and miss this gift that God wants to give us. Sabbath is a gift from God. And I wonder, maybe, for some of us, it could be a real thing that we could step into and be blessed by. There was an ad a few years ago with Jason Statham advertising a chocolate bar. And he's sitting there uh, in a cafe, and he talks about a salmon. And he says this, the salmon spends its life relentlessly trying to get upstream. With ceaseless endeavour, it fights the currents of massive rivers, drags itself over rocks and shallow water, forces its way up huge waterfalls, never stops, never rests, just battles and battles its way upstream. Finally, heroically, it reaches its goal. And it's absolutely knackered. And it dies. Remember, you are not a salmon. (laughs) <laughs> and then he advertises his chocolate bar. But I think there's a point in there, isn't there? We're, we're not salmon. We're not made for that kind of constantly going, going, going. God knows how we're made. And he's given Sabbath as a gift. He's spoken it to us. It's important in the rhythms of our life to, to build in time like that, time off. 
weekly, annually. I remember when we first came up here, it was a thing that Colin would talk about a lot. Make sure one of the first things to go into your budget is holidays, is time off. Make sure one of the first things to go into your calendar is holidays, is time off. Weekly, for not working. And I'm not just talking about paid work, but any kind of work, not going flat out all the time. Taking time off. Now, having a bit of work-life balance, that's important for physical rest, emotional rest. But there is an even deeper rest that we need, and this is all tied up in this Sabbath idea, and that's spiritual rest. And that's what Jesus was saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. There's a rest that we need, that we long for, that's only found in relationship with him. As we draw near to God, it's promised he will draw near to us. We can approach him confidently. This is an active thing to do, to lean in to this relationship with God and find rest. I wonder when you do have days off, what do those days look like for you? Are they a Netflix binge day or are they a day that you push into God? Do you pray more on your days off rather than less? Do you lean in to him? It's a good thing to do because God's given us this gift of Sabbath. Now we've talked a lot about the context and the debate. Let's just kind of zoom in on what Jesus actually did. Because there's a man before him who has dropsy. And dropsy was just a, a swelling of soft tissues due to excess water. It wasn't a fatal thing. So this man didn't meet this loophole of, of um, kind of if it's human life in danger, you can cure him. No. But he, he still had pain. He was still suffering by this. It was uh, impeding his life. Well, Jesus asked the question, is it lawful? He didn't get an answer. So he goes ahead and he heals him. That's what Jesus does. And then he sent him on his way because he didn't want this man to just be kind of lingering around being a prop in a debate. He had a bigger vision for him than that. Here was a man in the image of God who had been suffering and had a very real need that was healed by Jesus. Let's not lose sight of that. The Pharisees were about bullying and control. Jesus was just the opposite. He blessed the man. He was about bringing blessing and healing. He supernaturally met his need. You know, God is a healer. Do you believe that? He still heals today. And in this passage, we've got a really low-key testimony of it. In fact, you know what struck me as I was preparing this? The Pharisees had brought this man into the setting because they expected that Jesus would heal him. That's what a reputation Jesus had. Even those who didn't like him knew that he'd just casually healed the guy. It wasn't like, oh, wow, can Jesus heal? They knew by now Jesus could heal. And they brought this guy in and be like, I bet Jesus heals him. And Jesus heals him. That's what he did. Jesus was focused on people, on blessing, on bringing God's good into the people he met. Whereas the Pharisees were about rules and systems and trying to get people to do what they wanted. We recently did a broadcast. This is kind of a ministry. We have a training thing. And we were interviewing this guy. And every question he was asked, he was talking about people and putting people at the centre and loving people and serving people. It was so impressive just to see this ruthless determination to do good to others. That's what Jesus was about. In that book that I read, the thing that he, he said is, despite all the times that Christians or so-called Christians have gone astray, there's always this beautiful tune of Jesus, the things he taught, the things he did, that's called the church back to his way, to what it's truly about, that people can't shake this kingdom vision of blessing and serving 
and loving. We need to cultivate this same heart, don't we? And how do we do it? We do it as we take time with him, as we get in his presence, as we dig into his word, and as we see situations where we rub against need and against people, and we see how Jesus wants to work in those situations. He heals the man's body, but the question that he asks also makes it clear that it's about freedom. Because he says, like, which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? I mean, can you imagine if your kid fell in a well on the Sabbath day? You're not just going to say, okay, well, it's a Sabbath, I'm sorry, mate, but just stay down there until tomorrow, and then I'll sort it out. You're not going to do that, are you, even if their life's not in danger? You're going to desperately get them out, and even an animal, you're going to do the same thing for. Jesus exposed, they were a bit hypocritical about it, because they'd do that for their son or their ox, but they didn't care about this guy, his body, being healed. Isn't kind of the, the physical impediment he had just as important to heal? See, Jesus likens the two things. Michael Mickens says it like this. For Jesus, the Sabbath was a day for freedom. In fact, most of Jesus' recorded activities on the Sabbath find him either liberating someone from broken physical and spiritual condition or liberating the Sabbath itself from false theological ideas and traditional rabbinic claims that had essentially transformed the Sabbath into a day of bondage, and burdens. So that's what the Pharisees had done. They'd taken this glorious gift from God and made it about bondage and burdens. Jesus liberated the Sabbath as a day of freedom. This story highlights two competing views for what living in God's kingdom is like. The way of the Pharisees, all about control, the bully boy mentality, the man is just a prop in their argument. Or the way of Jesus, about freedom about liberation, about healing, and about God's blessing. I don't think many set out to be bullies, but I think all of us can sometimes drift. This morning, I want us to hear these resonant notes of grace and see the Saviour calling us back to the life of saints. I want us to resolve this morning that we're going to step into the way of Jesus, kindness and compassion, not control and coercion. And if you're here this morning and in your story, at some point, you've been stung by Christian bullies, by people trying to push you around in the name of God. Let me just say, as a follower of Jesus, I'm sorry that you've experienced that. That's not what the way of Jesus is about. I read the verses earlier. I want to read them again because this is what the way of Jesus is about. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have hope, you know, at times it's gone wrong, it went wrong for the Pharisees, there are stories in history where it's gone wrong, but there are times that it's gone so right where followers of Jesus have followed his lead and his vision and have done so by his power. The very last paragraph of the book, John Dixon says, Violence has been a universal part of the human story, but the demand to love one's enemies has not. Division has been a norm, but inherent human dignity has not. Armies, greed, and the politics of power have been constants in human history. Hospitals, schools, and charities for all have not. Bullies are common. Saints 
are not. Jesus is calling us to be saints, to step out in this new kingdom vision of serving and blessing and doing good to all and of using our capacity not to push others down, but to help others find God. At this meal with Jesus, we see a vision for kindness and blessing rather than bullying and control. It's what the kingdom is about. And each one of us in this room have been on the receiving end of his grace and kindness. He's picked us up when we were at our lowest ebb. He set his love and grace upon us. And now each one of us is called to, to join him in this kingdom adventure and show this to those around us.